Hello and welcome to chapter 11 of our Venture Deals review. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And we're ready to discuss negotiation tactics. Now, just a quick recap. We are reviewing Venture Deals, Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer and Venture Capitalist, a book by Brad Felt and Jason Mendelson. We've reviewed 10 chapters so far. We're breaking each one down chapter by chapter where Aaron and I discuss the highlights and add some of our own experience to the chapters. How many more chapters do we have? After this one, only five left. Good news for you, Aaron. I think we'll make it. Only one of them is more than three pages long. Only one of the chapters. Okay. Yeah, I think I can do it. So five quick chapters after this, but we'll still do this once a week. I will be through this one and then we'll see what we do next. So for negotiation tactics, there was a lot. This was a very heavy chapter. I think a really good chapter. And for anyone out there who's about to undergo a venture financing round, I would strongly consider reading this chapter twice. I think there was so much in there. You know, Aaron, all the previous chapters we've read, I feel a lot of it, you and I were just kind of shaking our head as we read it. Uh-huh. Yep. That makes sense. Or that's how we do it. Or as we've talked about, just best practices tend to emerge over time. There were some things in here, especially the negotiation, talking about their experience, you know, as the uh, on both sides that I thought were really helpful and interesting. And so for an for an entrepreneur, this stuff is really, really important. You know, a lot of the other stuff, it's more about understanding what things are. This is much more about, you know, psychology and negotiation strategy. I think it'd be helpful to read this chapter twice. So I've got a lot of points I want to discuss. Aaron, you got any broad thoughts before we dive into it? Just a general piece of advice on negotiating, especially if you're, you know, a founder that is um, maybe more introverted or more timid, practice. Right. You know, practice a lot. It's probably one of the more important things you'll Man, that's such a great piece of advice because I feel a lot of people don't do this. We obviously see a lot of people don't practice for their pitches, which I wish they would. There's no reason why you can't practice this, right? right? Get your lawyer and say, hey, you be the other side. Let's talk through this. Let's, Let's see what this looks like. Or get some of the other founder buddies. Let's talk about the lawyer's role in this chapter real quick, Aaron, just to get that out of the way. Early on, they said your lawyer shouldn't be a jerk, you know, in manner or unreasonable in positions. I don't think we we've had that many situations where the lawyer during the term sheet negotiation anyway is a real jerk, right? It's happened a few times. I feel like when we get into drafting the docs, but I can't remember many situations. Also, I don't know how involved the lawyers are. The fa- lawyers don't have a lot of face time during the term sheet phase, right? I I wish we would have more yeah. face time during the whole term sheet process, but you know, from what I see of our clients, it is much more of a the founder and the principal at the VC negotiating a term sheet. Which is a great point because the principal at the VC does this every week. Right. The founder does it once, maybe a couple times in their lives. Now, we can be your backstop and your support there. But once you get into the drafting docs, the drafting of the documents, then it's usually lawyer to lawyer. Right. I do agree with Aaron. I think we could be helpful if we could be more involved. And it's not – we're not – antagonistic in these things, right? We just want to make sure that the founders understand the points and are negotiating them correctly. However, we can still be very, very valuable by just walking you through it, making sure if you've read this book and listen to these podcasts, you're going to be infinitely more prepared than a lot of people are when they get in the term sheet stage. But we can help you to understand the key points of the term sheet. So the lawyer's role here, there's no reason really ever for a lawyer to be a jerk in these situations. You know, Aaron, I feel the best move a company can make, and they talk about it ad nauseum in this chapter, is just to have a good backup plan. Yeah. So if things are getting difficult, you just call the VC and say, look, this is where we are. We're not comfortable with these last couple of points. 
if this isn't going to be a good fit for you, that's great. We're just going to go on to the next one. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It can be a really positive experience. No, it's, I mean, these negotiations and these relationships that you have with uh, VCs can be personal and, you know, they're your friends, you know, you get to know them well. Um, but at the end of the day, this is business. That's right. And people shouldn't have their feelings hurt if uh, you decide to walk away. Totally agree. The other point they made about lawyers is you don't have to go to a big firm. Look, if you're raising a $30 million Series B round, you go to a big firm, yes, you're going to get their best attention. And the lawyer fees will be affordable based on that round. But when you're raising a seed round or just a million or $2 million A round, it's not always you know cost efficient to go with the big firm. And the point they make here is if you do go to a big firm, who are you getting to work on your docs? And I think that can be important. Now, we're on the other side of some of the you know, bellwether firms all the time. And they're phenomenal, right? They have tremendous resources. But there's also a lot of great venture attorneys, most likely in your hometown or really in any big city, who are at boutiques like like ours. So before you go out and you negotiate this thing, go interview attorneys in your area. Interview some from the big firms. Interview some from boutiques. Ask them questions based on what you've learned here. And make sure you pick an attorney that you're comfortable with. You should not be looking at just price. You know, we are priced more efficiently than the big firms, but we, we have less overhead. But there's definitely a lot of guys out there priced a lot less than us. And if someone comes to us and they're super price um, conscious and that's how they're making their decision, probably not going to be a good fit for us. At a, and we're at a boutique and you're definitely not going to be a good fit at a big firm. But your lawyer should really be supportive here. And most of the time, I mean, just about every time when Aaron and I are on the other side of attorneys, it's a very collaborative nature, right? I and mean, we keep a relationship with a lot of these guys yeah. post-transaction. Yeah. So there's no reason why that shouldn't be um, a positive experience. Okay. So let's talk about preparation. I had double stars here next to preparing for the negotiation. It says the single biggest mistake people make during negotiation is a lack of preparation. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you are preparing and you're probably not going to fall into this into this bucket because you've taken these steps. So I'm guessing you prepare in other ways or you prepare for other things. You know, know who you're dealing with. Research this guy on LinkedIn. Look at the companies that that your VC bought and sold or your principal was involved with. Ask for references. We do this all the time. Say VC, great, would love to work with you. Can you send me three founders you've worked with? And call those guys and have a 10-minute conversation. You'll learn so much, you know, so much more about that person from talking to a third person than just meeting with them in their office when they're their best self. And then also prepare your own attorney, prepare internally for what this process is going to look like. What are the terms that are really material to us? What are the terms that aren't that important? I think the point about registration rights here is interesting, where yeah. they said, if your lawyer's marking up registration rights, we think he's an idiot. Because obviously, you guys haven't read read up on us and know that we don't care about registration rights. I want to point out, in addition to you know learning about what companies this VC has invested in or you know has been a part of, getting to know personal details about them, like, you know, where they went to school, what teams they like, you know, just something so that you can have, you know, more of a dialogue than just, okay, let's talk about these terms. That personal relationship is what's going to get you the last couple points on the last round of negotiations. Cause they're going to say, look, this isn't that material. We like this guy. We've talked about college football together. I've learned about his family. He's asked about my family. These, these last points just aren't that big a deal. I know the attorney's pushing for them, but let's just get this thing signed. It's not going to get the VC to bump their valuation by two or three X, but That's right. it'll get you a little bit. It might get you 
a longer holding period on redemption rights, right? right. Or a longer trigger period. It might get you down from a 1.5 to a 1x on the participation preference. So those relationships really, really important. You know, spend that time once you've identified a VC that you think would be a good fit for you. You know, I think investing the time with the principles there will be really valuable. And also, you're going to want to have a good relationship moving forward for a number of reasons. One, they're going to take a seat on your board, so that'll be important. Two, they might have follow-on funding. That could be critical. Three, and probably most importantly, they are going to have a network. And you want to be plugged into that network, not just because you're a portfolio company, because but because you're someone that they believe in, you're a friend, you're someone that they trust. So the personal relationship with the VCs is really, really critical. One thing that I liked in the entrepreneur box here on 153 was they said, you know what, as an entrepreneur, go to the VC and say, what are your most what are your three most important terms? I love this. I think this is great advice. I think a lot of entrepreneurs think that VCs have all the leverage. They really don't. I mean, it should be 50-50, right? This is a uh, you know, a win-win. There, there's, there's a desirable outcome for both parties and it's not mutually exclusive. So when you ask questions like, what are your three most important terms? That is not looking to shift leverage in your favor. That is not that does not come across as bombastic. It comes across as prepared right. and interested and confident. I want to say, if you do think that the VC has all the leverage, that's going to have a part in the way that you negotiate the deal. And that's not going to be beneficial to you or to the company. And so maybe this VC is the only option you have the only term sheet you have but you have to keep in mind you can always walk away from the deal go raise money somewhere else you know if if it's getting down to crunch time and you're running out of money that's a whole different story but as long as you keep the mindset that you have other options that's going to help in you know making making you confident in your negotiation process i think there's a lot of things that happen there subconsciously that could lead to you striking a bad deal if you believe that this is your only option. So I'm with you 100% there, Aaron. You know, let's try to seek out other options or just know that there's always the sun's always going to come up tomorrow. And so if this isn't a good deal for us, then we're just going to walk away from it. Don't be in a position where you think that you have to take the deal. And that's why you want to meet with us three months before we raise money and we can talk about this. What does your cash flow look like? What is your what do your reserves look like? What's your burn rate? We can be prepared for these things that we don't get put into a corner where we have to take a deal. Okay, here's one, Aaron, that was really important to me is always be transparent. We get a lot of guys who come in here and they say, man, I've got this really ugly wart and I don't want the VC to know about it. Let's try and go get in bed with them first and then we'll show it to them. Terrible idea. Awful. Terrible idea. Every single deal has hair on it, like they like to say in our industry. Every single company has a founder breakup from three years ago, we've got some random guy on the cap table, has an employment litigation dispute going on, has a key member that of the uh, dev team that never signed an IP assignment, right? You have a fussy investor from four years ago who's not willing to sign any any resolutions. You have a fussy investor from six months ago. I mean, it, have, these guys see it all the time. They're not going to be turned off by that. If they are, then they haven't seen enough deals. Let me give you a relevant example. So one of our clients enters in acquisition talks and they had a key piece of technology that the company be acquired was being used by an unrelated, well, a related other party, right? A related other company that they knew. The acquirer knew that we had this other 
company, the acquirer is comfortable with us running this other company. What the acquirer did not know was that the other company was using a key piece of technology from the company to be sold. So the client says, when do we tell them this? You know, should we wait? Should we get a signed term sheet? We get into docs, act like it's no big deal. I said, absolutely not. We show it to them now. We negotiate out of it now. They'll be fine with it. I called the attorney, explained it, acted like it was no big deal. Attorney said, okay. He represents a huge Fortune 100 company. He sees this stuff all the time. So it's not a big deal. I said, this is what we want to accomplish. This is what we need, the right we need for that piece of IP. Can we go ahead and negotiate that in? No problem. Took us three or four days. Got it negotiated in. Everyone's happy. And now the company that's buying us, I think there's an opportunity for them to use this technology in another way down the road and we might have an ancillary revenue stream with them. So to get it get it out up front. If you want to go through your attorney, your attorney sees it, their attorney sees it. But whatever issues you have, always be transparent. What you will, what will kill a deal is getting to the closing table and then something popping up. Investors don't want to be surprised. They do not want to be surprised, whether it's at the closing table for a venture round or in the future. Which is also, you know, I think we've talked about this before, and this doesn't really go uh, relate to this chapter, which is keeping your investors updated, sending your monthly, weekly, quarterly updates to your investors to let them know the good, the bad, what you need, just so that they're not surprised and you let them know, hey, here are the problems we're having this quarter. So they talk about a couple more, there's a couple more pages just on walkaway threats and a BATNA, which we'll talk about and, you know, building leverage. BATNA stands for best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So that's when you sit down internally, you sit down with your lawyer and say, all right, if we don't do this deal, what is our best alternative? Is it really that we can't raise money? Is it that we have to let some people go to get our rate down? Uh, can we go back to a previous VC with different terms? Understanding that internally is really, really important. This goes back into, like Aaron said, practicing those negotiations, role-playing those negotiations. I can't impress on you. I know this stuff all feels real ephemeral or kind of you know, intangible, but these sort of things really, really, are really, really important. And then it says uh, the best way to gain leverage is to have competing term sheets. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that would be phenomenal. Well, the... The best scenario is if you don't have to go out and raise money. Right, right, exactly. Surprised they didn't go that far. Yeah. Here's your here's your best alternative. So let's talk for a sec about things not to do. Okay, this is one that's interesting. It says, don't present your term sheet to a VC, which I think is right for the types of deals they are yes. talking about. A lot of the early stage companies that Aaron and I work with, Aaron and I help them to construct their term sheets, but we're generally not talking to VCs there, right, Aaron? Right. No, this is this is early stage friends and family, maybe angel groups where typically you don't have a lead investor. And so the company almost acts as its own lead investor and sets the terms. Now, you do see every once in a while a micro VC might say, sure, send me a term sheet or a VC who's an actual VC, but they're doing small rounds may be willing to look at yours. So the conclusion there is for smaller rounds, it's okay. There's just not a lot of VCs looking at smaller rounds. Your smaller rounds are probably friends and family or angel groups. A lot of angel groups have their own term sheets now, right? That's a that's a syndicated angel group, not just angel investors. But the reasons why you don't present your term sheet to a VC are one, the most important reason, don't make the first offer. You don't have to. What you generally do is you say, we're looking for a $20 million valuation. And that's about it. And the VC will ask you for a copy of their cap table, and then they'll come back, and they might be at 20, it might be at 15, it might be at 10, or whatever. But you just give the VC some round numbers, 
if you're not sure about your valuation, go higher. <laughs> you can't, you don't, the valuation can come down. It never goes up. Yeah. Don't go, don't go too high. Don't, otherwise you might get laughed out. Of yeah. The room. Don't, don't, don't go offensive. And again, this is where your, where your attorney can be helpful. And then also your network to talk to other people in your space and see what's reasonable. But the terms, the, you know, the material terms might come from you. Hey, we're looking to sell 20% of the company at this valuation. But then the VC will put together a term sheet. Most of them look pretty similar. You want to take that term sheet, look at it, and then discuss it with your, uh, with your, with your attorney and your board. You know the, the book talks about just being a good listener and listening to their viewpoint. You know, I think the overall theme of the chapter is that this is a real collaborative process. It is not a one side wins, one side loses. Yeah, this isn't litigation. You're not you're not fighting here. This is everybody should walk away should close the deal being happy. So here are my key takeaways from this chapter, Aaron, right? One is collaborative process. It can be positive. If you go into it with that mind frame, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a winning situation for everyone. Two, be prepared as heck. There is no reason why you don't know everything that you can find about that VC through social media, through their LinkedIn, maybe even through Facebook if you've if you friend with them. Hey, if you walk into a VC and you say, man, I saw your kid's birthday last week and you're having fun, that VC is going to love that. No one doesn't like to talk about their kids, right? Everyone wants to rave about those things. Hey, I saw you're a huge, you know, Saints fan. The Saints had a big win this weekend. They love that. Do that. Do that research. You're listening to this podcast, which hopefully means you're reading this book. This is not cliff notes for the book. You need to be reading this book. So that means you're prepared. Read through this chapter twice and then try to have multiple opportunities, right? Be talking to multiple VCs at once. I think, again, your attorneys can be helpful here for you understanding when you push, when you pull. If you're talking to a few VCs, when do you say, can we follow up? When do you say, when am I going to hear it for you? Or when do you just let them chill out for a little bit? Aaron, what are your thoughts as we wrap it up? I really enjoyed it. It uh, you know, reminded me of being in law school taking negotiations course, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I got an A in negotiations. <laughs> I just wanted to oh, put I that, that out there. All right, that's chapter 11 of Venture Deals. We'll be back next week with chapter 12, Raising Money the Right Way. It is a very brief chapter. So Aaron will have some uh, come up with some content to fill in the gaps there. Only five chapters left. Also, I know this week we are doing some more interviews with entrepreneurs and investors. So be sure to check out our other podcast, Three Things. In closing, you can always find show notes. Check out the link in the iTunes episode description or on our website, if you're listening through our website, VelaWoodLaw.com. Send us questions or comments, podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is at VelaWoodLaw. Our Instagram handle is at VelaWood. And finally, finally, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Office Hours podcast. Five stars. Five stars. The Velawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at